This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here and the manly ward on. Let me get my light on. There we go. Everything's messed up today. My clocks are off. My light was off, but hopefully I'm not off uh, too much. Some people think I'm off all the time, but, you know, what the heck. If, you, if, you, if you're not, uh, somebody's not ranting about you, you're not doing something right. Here we are in the manly Warthog Man Cave here in the Melbourne Law Studio, protected by crime prevention 24-7, 365. And we are fogged in here at uh, the Warthog Command Center. We have got just about zero visibility. And I just want to report that in a little more depth at the bottom of the hour during our break for the weather. But uh, we're expecting the onslaught to arrive by this evening. And so you need to, if you haven't cut your wood yet, cut your wood. If you haven't, you know, done all the things you're supposed to do, while you remember, very get ready to do it, because we'll talk about it more at the bottom of the hour. But uh, we're going to do our Dance Alive National Ballet Thursday today, uh, which is always a great treat. As you know, I'm a big supporter of the arts, and I don't know who we'd be if we weren't ha- for the arts. We wouldn't be civilized, and, and if we are civilized to any extent at all. But certainly the structure and discipline of art makes us... Um, control ourselves a little bit better and puts our emotions into a form that we can communicate others uh, with others about. So I just said that spontaneously, by the way, off the top of my head. I have no notes. But um, I'm talking with my great friend, Kim Tuttle, who um, uh, has been running the show here in town for the arts with the ballet forever and ever and a day, and um, really has had an enormously successful Nutcracker season. I, I, the testimony to the stamina of the dancers alone of all performances I'm going to let her tell you about. And also there's a capital campaign because uh, Dance Alive National Ballet is moving into another phase of its existence. So we're going to share all that with you today. Kim, welcome to the Ward Scott Files. Great to see Thank you. Thank you. I'm here. This woman is an energizing bunny in there. I don't know if she ever rests, but uh, Kim, what's on your what's on your mind today? Well, you know, when you brought up the fact that the dancers have this great uh, stamina, um, you are so right. They train so diligently and seriously. And one thing that I, I think about is that dancers are trained from the time they start dancing. And so many of them start when they're three, four, five, six. They continue their training. They don't stop their training. They're as highly trained as any professional in any field. They're as highly trained as doctors or lawyers or, or any kind of athlete, for sure, or any kind of artist. They spend more time doing what they do for professional uh, training period than anybody I know, really. So uh, well, they have this yeah. inbuilt stamina. I might, I, I, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, we had performances uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida this year. Uh, we started before Thanksgiving, and of course we started rehearsing way before that. Um, we have a few casts, so we double cast things. So not everybody has the most arduous pieces to do. Um, but there are some people that don't stop dancing throughout. Um, 
one of the, the my favorite pieces is Waltz of the Flowers. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. That the core, that's the group of dancers that back up the soloists. The core were the same people for every single show. And not one person missed a show. Nobody was injured in this this uh, this program. And I think some of the reason that they're not injured is because it's a very close-knit group. There's no conflict. There are no divas. Um, everybody gets along. They're all supportive. So there's not any emotional stress coming from the dancers' uh, conflict within. Um, I've noticed that people get injured when they have like emotional uh, problems, like they're getting divorced or or something like that. And there there has been no emotional conflict at all in this group. And whether it's coincidental or not, uh, there have been no injuries. You know, that's a very interesting observation. If anybody is qualified to make that kind of observation, it certainly would be you having had years and years and years of relationships with athletes slash dancers. Mm -hmm. I don't see much difference. Um, I think it's just one and the same except add art to it. And um, that's an interesting um, stress-free life leads possibly helps conducive to an injury-free life. And, you know, what you're talking about, a lot of people don't know the story behind the stories. One of the things we try to do in Ward Scott Files is bring that out. And you're talking about harmony in the group, mm -hmm. uh, harmony in any team. You know, I can see this in all sorts of sports. You know, uh, people speculate on why, for example, the Gators didn't do well. Well, there has to be disharmony about half of them leaving for selfish reasons and abandoning their teammates for a bowl where their teammates are embarrassed publicly. Um, that can't be good for the culture. So this culture that you've got going on is, is I've kind of watched it before, too. And uh, they seem to you've got a lot of young people now coming through the system. Can you talk about them a little bit? Um, well, we also have old people. <laughs> I know you do. You've got a blend, but you've got fresh. Yeah. What I'm saying is you've got you've got new recruits, so to speak. I've got fresh blood. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I do have fresh blood. Um, yeah, I have some particularly tall female dancers right now that are on the verge of uh, becoming, you know, really high-level artists. And uh, I needed somebody young some tall young male dancer, you know, that would be able to partner them and also be at that high level. And I was fortunate enough to find a person that was very, very tall. He, he's only 24 years old, but he had been a principal dancer with Perm in Russia, which is like the beacon of ballet in Russia is Perm. That's the best training school in Russia. And um, he's not Russian, he's Brazilian. And then when uh, Russia... Uh, invaded Ukraine, he left Russia because he did not go along with that. He didn't want to be part of that. So he went back to Brazil and Brazil has some problems. Um, dancers are out of work in Brazil. So combine those two things. And I got three Brazilian dancers that are top notch, one being the tall dancer, another being just a super strong dancer and wonderful partner. And then a young girl who's only 20, who is a finalist at Varna, which is one of the presti most prestigious um, competitions in the world for dance. Um, so there were a lot of situations that allowed that to happen. Um, I was going to try not to get so many Brazilians because we have so many Brazilians in the company, but word of mouth really is the way I have always auditioned people. You know, first I get people to recommend other people. I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of videos sent. I got a little, I get a lot of auditions. But for me, it's about 
how are they going to fit into the culture? Do they get along with the dancers? All, these three dancers that I was interested in, I contacted all of my Brazilian dancers and I said, would you please contact people down there? Tell me what kind of people they are. How do they get along with people? Um, are they supportive? What, what are they like? Because when you only have a small company of 20, it's really important to, for everybody to get along. And I guess I've learned that more in the recent past than before. You know, I've always known that, but uh, it's impacting me more, I think, and impacting the company more. For instance, they all get along so well. They all did a secret Santa after the last Nutcracker. They all got in the dressing rooms. They didn't go home. They got in the dressing rooms. They did a secret Santa. Everybody participated. Um, it's a great group of people. Um, so, yeah, I've got new dancers, and part of it's because of the dancers that I have um, looking out for people, recommending me, um, recommending them to me. And then I evaluate and, and determine who would fit in and who wouldn't. So, you know, I've, yeah. just had a, I've just had a brilliant idea. Every What's idea that? I have, every have <laughs> I, by definition, if I have it, it's brilliant. So uh, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, of course, on that. But listening to you talk, I'm just going to throw out a suggestion. I'm going to see if I can make it work behind the scenes. The uh, quarterback club invites speakers in. It's always about football. It's about basketball. But they need to hear you. They need to because you're a coach. Uh, you're a recruiter. You're everything Billy Napier wants to be. I mean, really. And by the way, you're doing it without a collective. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot to be learned from you. And I'm going to work on that. I got some guys who may make that happen someday. But this story you're telling is one I don't even know. And I think I pretty much know it all, you know, tongue in cheek again, as you know, wink, wink. But by that, I mean, I'm pretty close to the group. I'm, you know, on the board. I've danced with the group. I stopped by to see them. I like them. I know them. And um, I think they're charming. And we've had them on the show. But there's more here. There's just a tip of the iceberg because what is going on, you're just telling is all that iceberg that's below the water and, and nobody sees it and it gives a structure to that part you see above the water. So um, that's, my, by the way, not my analogy. That's a writing analogy that you need to know nine times as much about the subject you're going to write about as you will actually use in the story because that enables you to select the appropriate details. Mm -hmm. And uh, always try to impress that upon the students. If you don't know nine times as much as you're going to use in the story, you don't know which details to select. So you've got this track record and you've got a kind of a verbal network out there because one of the things you do, which I think charms these people and attracts them, they don't have to go through a committee. They don't have to go through a, talk about what maybe could be done other places that you don't do. <clears throat> don't have to do. You, um, you make your decision. Well, I, right? I would say, you know, in, well, as you well know, in our, in our organization, there are, Element. Are you talking about our organization? There are elements that I don't participate in very much. No, I'm talking about if I were coming here as a dancer, oh, okay. I want to interact with you one on one. If I go to Houston or I go to someplace else, am I going to interact with the director one on one? Yes, you will. Oh, Artistic director is always the top level for um, bringing in people. You, you're not going to really go to the ballet master or the rehearsal captain or the called a repetitor or anything like that. You're going to go directly to the artistic director. It's a very one-on-one -on -one thing everywhere. I worked at the Stuttgart Ballet. I worked at the Zurich Ballet. It's very one-on-one -on -one with the artistic director. So you're competing with these other directors for these, this talent then? Yes, yes. But, you know, honestly, Ward, people find their niche. 
if they don't fit in here, then then they'll find another place they fit in. Um, you, you know, people if they're not comfortable where they're working here, then they'll they'll it's not comfortable for us either. So people find their their what how they fit in best. You know, you were talking about um, the culture, and I, I'll never forget Andy Lopez was the um, the coach for the baseball team many many the University of Florida baseball team many many years ago. Um, and when he first came, he saw Nutcracker and he came up to me backstage and he said, I hope my team has the same sense of camaraderie and spirit that your ballet company has. I'll never yeah. forget him saying that. And that's when he won the national championship. You know, so for him, it was very important, too. And I think that you're right that um, a lot of times individuals in an organization, especially if they're paid a lot or they get a lot of fame um, they, they don't think about the the rest of their team. And um, a team is not, you know, we always say a, a string of pearls is not anything uh, without without getting rid of the worst pearl. You know, it's only as good as the worst pearl. Let's put it that way. You, yeah. you know, yeah. it's only as good as the worst pearl. So, you know, a bad apple can spoil things. I mean, these are all cliches, but they're so true. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, you really, and I tell you, there's always a scapegoat in every group. You know, it's kind of human nature that there's a scapegoat that somebody likes to pick on somebody else. And I've noticed that over the years and I make a concerted effort to uh, defray that, that aspect of life. You know, I will start, somebody's picking on somebody, I'll look and see if it's valid, but most of the time it's not valid. It's just the natural pecking order, you know? And so I will start, you know, uplifting that person, you know, just so that it equalizes everything. It's it's an interesting, it's psychology, I tell you. It's psychology making it all work. Well, it's not psychology, but it certainly is psychology. Well, it's psychology on the run, too, because you've yeah. got a moving target here. Yep. You've got people in perpetual motion, so there's another factor added to it. Um, you know, let's talk about the success of this formula you've got with these people. I'll talk a little bit more about uh, the Nutcracker performances, I, how they come over, how they go over outside in Alachua. You know, that's a... I'm so proud of that happening because it yeah, you were you were the one that started it all. Well, it looks to me as if it caught hold. Am I right or wrong on that? You are. It's really wonderful. Uh, the people there are so supportive. It it from Adam Bukhari to Mike DeRosa. You know the the city management is very supportive of Dance Live. They really love our outreach programs. You know Emily Posek Dixon is in charge of our outreach program, and they have we had them. Um, her group that she was working with, her after-school group that she was working with, came during the intermission uh, on stage at the at the Nutcracker in Alachua in the amphitheater, and they did their a little performance, and um, it was pretty pretty amazing. I mean, they have people that you know have some disabilities, a, a girl with Down syndrome, um, and then others that are just ages up and ages down, and and a diverse group of kids, and honestly. Um, they loved it. The audience loved it. Mike DeRosa loved it. Emily Posek is amazing as an as a um, an outreach director. She loves doing what she's doing, and we're starting it in Ocala too. We have a partnership with Ocala. The city of Ocala called us and said we want to do outreach in our new community center, the Mary Sue Ridge Community Center, which is a forty thousand square foot brand new community center. I just uh, I saw it a few weeks ago, and Emily has been there too, and we met with the powers that be and. Uh, a fantastic facility, fantastic facility. Um, you know, they're very supportive. The The city of Ocala and the city of Alachua are very supportive of Dance Alive. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. And 
you know, as far as the atmosphere goes in logical, I don't think it's anything like it around. You know, it's up on the hill. It almost reminds me of a Greek setting. I, I swear, you know, it is. what's your impression of it? I'm, am I misreading it? <laughs> no, it, it has a kind of um, a fantasy, a magical feeling, I guess, is, is the best way of putting it. It's a magical feeling. It's a very warm and welcoming and at the same time um, fantastic. You know, it has this fantasy sense to it, just as a shape of it. And the fact that it's there in that gorgeous field and the trees are surrounding it, all the dancers love dancing there. I mean, it was 50 degrees. It was freezing um, by the time we left. It wasn't cold that afternoon. It was sunny. It was balmy. It was beautiful. But it was really cold. They couldn't feel their feet. I mean, they were on stage. They couldn't, literally could not feel their feet. And wow. um, But they love dancing there. Every Every time we're there, it's just, it's a beautiful experience. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad the cold didn't deter because I'm a little concerned about that. But, you know, I saw people wrapped in blankets sitting in lawn chairs. It didn't seem to bother them in the least. So, Not when you're sitting in with a blanket. <laughs> yeah, with a blanket. Well, you know, I've been there, done that. So uh, uh, thank goodness for blankets. I remember we went to a, we went to a big tennis uh, tournament one time in Atlanta. The cold spell came through. And we've still got, we, I mean, when we bought all the blankets out of the stores and wrapped up in them. All you could see was our heads sticking out. We didn't leave. And the players kept playing. Those were the days of Andre Agassi. And no, uh, the show must go on, you know. No, the show goes on. Well, let's talk about where we're going um, uh, in the future with Dance Live because we've got a capital campaign. It's now nine seventeen, according to my most reliable uh, clock here. We've got about ten more minutes or so with you. What do we got in the future, uh, Kim? That you can talk about. Well, when you speak about an open field in Alachua, we can go right to the open field in Gainesville that we are purchasing. Um, just met with the civil engineers again yesterday. Uh, this is on a move. We are purchasing a five and a half acre property on the corner of Northwest 39th Avenue and 34th Street. It's right next to Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and they are indeed the sellers. Uh, we have our contract. It's been agreed upon. Just have to get the lawyers to return it so we can sign it and move on with that, uh, get our zoning changed. Uh, we have um, a preliminary architect, James Blythe, who has been working with us on getting uh, site plans and such prepared for the civil engineers to present to the commissioner so that we can get the zoning changed. Uh, it's a 20,000 square foot building. It's going to be uh, three dance studios, three music studios, a black box theater, uh, storage, of course, for all of our costumes facilities, a laundry facility. Um, we are having like a, a kind of a quasi art gallery in a long hallway that goes into the black box. We have designed that so that that can be an art gallery. We have a gorgeous statue that's gonna be in the center of the lobby. We have a beautiful out, outdoor um, lawn space that we hope to have plein air painting on. Uh, the, the black box we want to rent out at low nonprofit rates to you know people like uh, orchestra members that wanna do programs or poetry readings or or any anything that has to do with the arts, we're not looking right now at making it a general event center, because really it's a cultural hub. It's an arts center, and um, there's nothing like that anywhere around at Can you all. Explain a little bit more black box. What people don't really know what that term means. Right, black box. I know somebody asked me, does that mean it's all black on the outside? No, it's kind of a term like green room. You know, in the theater, it's a it's a term that that is a a small um, enclosed space 
that is generally painted black on the interior that has a lighting grid, has lighting that you can do small performances in. Oh, it doesn't have, um, you know, a fly system where you can bring backdrops in and out. Uh, doesn't have wing space usually. It's just an open box that um, it's it's black because lighting works better against black than it does against white or some other color. You can wear different colored costumes and then you can color them and light and light light people better. You know, so uh, there'll be some uh, kind of like Murphy bed risers so that we can bring risers down and bring them up uh, so we can put chairs in it or not so that it can be a space that is open for rentals or it can be for performances in a, in a kind of proscenium setting, could be in the round with chairs as well. So it's going to be a very flexible space. That's a fantastic um, combination at this stage, at least, of some tremendous energy and uh, creativity. I know I've been with you all over town as we drove around looking for places, which has probably been going on. I've lost fingers and toes, three, four, five years, really. Oh, yeah, a little bit more yeah. than five years we started looking. Yeah, looking for five years. We're very much in, indebted to the church there, that wonderful piece of property, which is, um, as you say, there'll be nothing like it in this community and nothing like it now in this community. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be uh, just, a, 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 you know, it's, I'm, I like the, the, the concept here that it's more of an arts center with dance is the, is the anchor. Uh, but um, I can see poetry readings, uh, which uh, I'm tremendously supportive of and uh, fiction readings. Um, boy, do I ever long for fiction readings. Uh, people just don't understand the power of hearing a story read aloud. Everybody understands it as a little kid. If you were fortunate enough to have your mother read to you aloud as I was, it never ever leaves you. There's a magic to the sound of your mother's voice or, the human voice and the words. And then, of course, the, the story as it unfolds. And then to have it used as a device to teach at the graduate level, which I was fortunate enough to experience. The only relationship in the entire University of Florida that way was a done in graduate writing classes where we were trying to write our own fiction. And our rule was, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, was the uh, professor read the story aloud that you had yet you written, you couldn't identify yourself, you couldn't identify your, you couldn't protect yourself from criticism, and you had to sit there and hear the class discuss your work. And the curious thing about it, Kim, is after a while, even though the uh, the identity of the writer was anonymous, everybody knew. Oh, that's one of Joe's stories, you know, <laughs> because it, it, you could after a while you could identify the the issue that Joe was wrestling with in his writing development that he just needed to address and, and, and deal with, or he would never make it. And some people did, uh, they just never got past the, that impasse. And, um, and it was very, but my point is, I don't want to digress here too much on your time, but, but um, the structure and the discipline, the arts and the energy and the passion takes a master. I'm, you know, this is, I'm, there has to be a master guides this work. And Kim Tuttle here has been the master in the arts of ballet. Some I, might I, call me a bulldozer. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's okay. That's all part of it. You know, some of the criticism in the writing class, if you weren't the tough skin, you, you wouldn't ta- be able to take it because it was, you know, listen, this is the way it is. You need to work on this. You need to work on that. Uh, you didn't deal with this. You didn't deal with that. And you couldn't take it while you didn't, you didn't survive. You know, this was not for the lighthearted. Uh, no. 
you know, performance. Not an walk. easy profession. I have to say it's not an easy profession. When you applaud the dancers, I applaud you for recognizing that they sacrifice a lot to do what they love. Um, they don't make a lot of money. They don't last a long time. Uh, it's an arduous, uh, it's an arduous um, f- career uh, time-wise. It, it's not normal. It's not nine to five. You know, you have to give up evenings sometimes or you have to travel for eight hours. Uh, sometimes the traveling's fun. Sometimes it's not fun. But um, it is a, you sacrifice a lot to do what you're doing. And what you're doing is really bringing bringing something to other people it's not just about yourself it's really about giving this art form to your audience seriously um it's well, don't really little, not just about yourself the kid little kids really reacted my impression anyway this season the nutcracker in so many joyful ways have i got that right i mean um were your performances well received i'm sure they were by the kids oh, we had more than we've ever had before that's what i thought ever. I mean, yeah. it, we had more than before COVID. Um, I think that people are starting to crave um, joy in their lives. And something that Nutcracker does is bring joy. It just does for all ages. It's very uplifting. It doesn't matter whether it's about Christmas or what it's about. It's about people enjoying life and, and um, caring for each other. It's a very warm, it's a very warm experience. Nutcracker is a very warm experience. Well, we got about five, five minutes left. I'm going to talk a little about you, but focus a little bit in the time remaining on the uh, kids that come down from St. Augustine. And I, I get asked so often, how can kids who can't see and hear uh, appreciate the ballet? Can you expand on that? Well, yeah, you're talking about the magic of Nutcracker, which is something that we do every year. Um, it's open to more kids than just the ones in, in uh, St. Augustine School for the Deaf and Blind. But um, any child that has disabilities or any child that really can't get through a full performance. They sit on stage uh, during our final dress rehearsal. They actually would put chairs on stage. They're within touching distance of the dancers. And many of them can't see, many of them can't hear, but they can feel the floor or they can, um, they have um, people that will interpret for them. They have people that will hold their hands and help them feel the music. Um, and your wife, Barbara, was so wonderful because every child received a gift. She selected things to go in these stockings and 100 gifts Barbara Scott gave to these children. Um, she herself worked with social, social, she was a social worker really and worked with children with disabilities. I don't know whether social worker is the right term, but it She's certainly is social work. Preschool teachers, kids with special needs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing that and they every year they say thank you so much for those gifts and every year they come back again and again they travel from St. Augustine to come to Gainesville and um, it's just an amazing experience for the dancers as well as for the kids. Well it's quite moving to see those buses pull up and those little kids get off. Yep and I mean they're so excited those, about those it. Those little kids are not you know they're not, they, they have disadvantages but they're here you know and they're they're dealing with them and uh um, it's it's a it's a really neat moment uh, to to actually be there when the buses arrive, which I have in the past been. And, and a uh, lot of those kids award also our dance students. They put on performances. I was watching some of their videos of their performances. So it means even more to them because they're they're also interested in dance. Talking to Kim Tuttle, who really has been the 
Um, the little, how's that little thing? The, the engine that made, well, I don't even know the little run. That, <laughs> that the engine made, that could. <laughs> you know, the engine that made the train go or something like that. I'm trying to remember my nursery rhymes, which, by the way, my mother taught me hundreds of them. And I recited them. And uh, a funny story is they took me to the train station when I was like three or four. It was the only place you could record in those days. And they had a little machine. I remember my father and my mother in the booth with me. And they were going to proudly record me saying my nursery rhymes. And Kim, when the machine went on, I froze. And all, <laughs> you could, all you could hear was, all you could hear on the recording was, well, go ahead, go ahead, go, go, go ahead. <laughs> well, well, I didn't say a word. And the entire little disc was made of, no, of nothing being said. But my father and mother said, well, go ahead. You know, I never said a word. <laughs> well, Ward, you made up for it. <laughs> Oh, boy. And by the way, I, I, I posted the other day uh, something that the Facebook world had me. I mothered 102 coming and dancing uh, at, the, uh, at the gala we had that year on the Phillips uh, uh, stage. And uh, uh, to you ain't nothing but a hound dog at 102 years of age. So I don't know. But it's really been a great joy. Well, we've been uh, talking with Kim Tuttle, a great friend and um, a uh, real powerhouse in our community of the arts. And we're going to keep featuring uh, Dance Alive National Ballet. We've got a big fundraising drive we're going to be pursuing over the coming future. And it's all for the betterment of this community. Ward, yeah. Can I mention it's on our website, www.dancealive.org. Capital campaigns on our homepage. If you want to contribute, click on it. Sure enough. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll try to pursue that a little bit. Okay. Thanks, Jim. I know you got a busy morning coming. Uh, Ray Stern says hello. He said Nutcracker, Nutcracker was fabulous, and um, he's one of your great fans, of course. So um, have a great day. Thanks for coming on, and have a great Christmas. I hope to see you for then and talk to you. And um, take care of everybody, you know, all my friends you know and everything. So we're going to break on the hour weather here, and it's going to be a chilly weather report. I'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. 
And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Melbourne Law Studio in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, protected by crime prevention. And we're thanking all our sponsors, Shoot DTR and uh, Style Cuts and RR Construction, On the Spot Cleaners. Um, we'll leave somebody out. I apologize. And very much thank you for your donations. Um, and um, hope you're going to have a great Christmas. Right now, we're looking at 49 degrees here with our Lewis Oil weather. And uh, it's going to get a lot colder. We know that. We're getting ready. Um, fortunately, we have been preparing uh, for this by stocking up wood in the summertime, of all things. We cut our wood in the summertime and let it cure. Uh, got a big log splitter and uh, finally bit the bullet, bullet and invested in that. And, and it's, it's uh, quite, a, quite a thing to, to see and use and um, a couple of tons of pressure on a piece of wood and it splits quite nicely. But uh, we're looking at, of course, um, a very low tree pollen and all that business right now, but we're going to get into the really cold weather. Now, around the country... I, you know, uh, we've got some football games that are going to be done pro world in some really bad weather. And I don't know. I guess the guys can take it. Um, but this is going to become uh, a rapid freezing, as you know, with blizzard conditions throughout much, much of the country. And old Santa is going to have to really get up and get going because he's going to have uh, smoke and fires in those chimneys. I don't know how Santa's going to get down those chimneys. But we're going to have a drastic temperature drop that's going to rival records all over the country, including even Denver. Um, Denver is a strange place. You know, I have skied so many years out there, 20, 30 years. You fly into Denver, and I've flown into Denver, Denver when it was like in the 70s, and a week or so later, flown out within 20 below. I've been in Denver when I've gone out to look for the rental car, and you can't find it because it's covered with snow. And I've been in Denver when the airport has been shut down completely because of the weather. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And I've driven on the interstates going up into the uh, ski resorts when you better know what you're doing and be very careful because it's so treacherous. So uh, we've got a lot of weather coming in, no matter where you are in our listing viewing area. It's going to be drastic. It's going to be stuff you need to prepare for. I've got some friends up in Atlanta who text me once in a while and tell me that things are, you know, getting ready to clobber them, really. Uh, so take care of yourself. That's basically the story. Uh, it's going to be a tough job for Santa, as I say. Uh, the temperatures are going to plummet and the snow is going to be in. And uh, 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 Plantation Mark said he's had to repower his log splitter after six years. Yeah, well, you, you're going to need it. I know where you are, Mark. Log splitters, you got to have, my man. So that's our weather. And uh, 
we'll we'll be back tomorrow and probably the weather temperature tomorrow will be tremendously, tremendously different. Um, so thanks to Lewis all for that weather report. We wish we had a friendlier one to bring you, but uh, at least we don't have an earthquake like they had in Northern California, which has really been devastating. A lot of aftershocks going on there, which have not been pleasant at all. Well, 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 I want to follow up a little bit yesterday on some things we um, spoke with with Ted Yoho. Uh, we're getting some very good uh, data uh, on, on our show with Ted. Uh, more and more people are learning that to get to hear an actual eight-year congressman talk about the details in D.C. that you can't really hear anywhere else, and you get to hear it for, for an hour. Um, that's a very unusual coup when uh, we have an hour with a representative United States congressman for a, an hour who still has contacts, of course, very close contacts in Congress and goes to, D, to D.C. quite often. So um, I want to go over a couple of things that we covered yesterday that are in the news that we need to cover that because they concern all of us nationally. And number, number one is, of course, the so-called January 6th inquiry. And um, the, the, uh, 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 a, lot of, a lot of people analyzing it. Of course, I think the Wall Street Journal, of all the things that I read and consult, turns out to be probably the most centrist comments, the most sensible comments consistently of any place that I, I, I research. And I, I want to share what their take is with you on the January 6th inquiry. Um, they say that the criminal referrals of Trump are nothing but political complication. Um, there's not really anything more to it, basically, than a political gesture. Well, we've known that. We covered it yesterday. I covered it a couple of days before the timeline. And even the New York Times is aware of uh, where the real coup was led by Brennan and that crowd trying to overthrow Trump or uh, stymie his possible uh, presidency before he even got to be the president. So uh, congressional referral, um, the Wall Street Journal writes, uh, to the Justice Department that has no more uh, legal force than an inner office memo. It, it really doesn't mean anything. It is a political gesture. Uh, the journal uh, suggests that any facts that the the committee might have found, just let them speak for themselves and get the uh, public uh, uh, drama and posturing by chaining that crowd off uh, off the stage. It's not about them. If there's any facts, actual facts, you know, a fact is that which is observable to a, uh, a third party, a third disinterested party. Let's say I saw something and I said the car was green and uh, you saw it and you said the car was red. And I'm a passerby. I have no interest in thing at all. And I say the car was red. Why it becomes a red car? Because there's a third objective observer who uh, uh, sees it the same way one of the other people sees it. So uh, that's the way those type of effects. And a lot of people have, cannot, having taught, of course, for years, tell the difference between a fact and opinion. Uh, most of what I hear in the popular media or seen a popular media, if you will, is really opinion is not fact. It's uh, it's just somebody's interpretation of something uh, which they then present as fact. It's uh, fraught with all sorts of editorial passion and it's done to sell the paper or sell the news story. So um, the conviction would have to be if there ever were an actual criminal referral by the Department of Justice, a conviction of a president would have to have a unanimous jury and it would have have to have very 
serious, indisputable public evidence. Then um, in, in the opinion of the Wall Street Journal, um, you know, in case all the little techies are listening to me, uh, which they are, and they think that I'm uh, inciting something here. This is the opinion of the Wall Street Journal, which I'm passing along to you. Uh, the quote unquote insurrection on January 6th was really just a riot that went bad. Um, we've had all sorts of riots. You know, people point out that Black Lives Matter riots. All these people rioted. Uh, this one uh, was a riot. It was an insurrection. And here's the real simple reason why it was not a coup. All right. And I didn't think of this until I saw this in the journal. Trump did not have the support of the military. Do you recall Russia had a coup when Yeltsin, Yeltsin, I think, was the president, and there was the support of the military? If you had seen the United States military pull up to Congress and point their tanks at Congress at the direction of the president, you would have had a coup. Let me repeat that. If you had seen on January 6th, the United States military pull up to congressional building and point their tank muzzles at Congress at the direction of the president, you would have had a coup. None of this had the support from the military, the Wall Street Journal points out. This was people. Some of them very much more passionate, committed than others. Many, many more not there on the steps, not as passionate, but nevertheless committed to a full disclosure of what actually happened in the election, which historians say, or people who study history say, well, we won't know for 50 to 100 years. Now, some of the things that the journal points out is that uh, getting rotten legal advice isn't illegal. If Trump was advised by a law professor, John Eastman, who got referred to the Justice Department, getting bad legal advice is not illegal. It's just bad legal advice. Trump has a right, according to the journal, to argue that the election was stolen. He has a right to argue that. Now we don't on the tech platforms. YouTube has taken me down because I've even entertained the discussion or I've had guests who've entertained the discussion. So they canceled my channel. That's why we advise you to go over, rumble, follow us, get behind us. Because there is, as we're knowing from the revelations through Twitter, an attempt to organize and control the political narrative. Furthermore, any of the details that January 6th committee supposedly has found, the Wall Street Journal argues would have already been leaked to the press for years because people have been leaking details about Trump to the press since before he became the president. Now, I'm trying to take Trump out of this. I'm trying to talk about partisan interference in our nation's government. What this all done is undermine 
trust in the nation's institutions. That's the issue. That's the issue. So if these recommendations from this January, according to the journal, were to succeed in the DOJ following up the charges, the prosecution of a former president running against a current president, a former president who has come, let me think about this, a former president who has declared himself a candidate for the presidency again, running against a current president, if the Department of Justice charges that former president running for president again against a current president, the journal says, you are entering a new and dangerous era in this nation's history. Criminalizing political differences to new heights, dangerous new heights. The, the proof to support this charge, the journal, the journal says, would have to be undeniable with a legal theory straightforward enough to convince most of the country. That's not going to happen. The country is divided. Who divided it? Well, if you look back over your shoulder, it begins with Obama, who was supposed to be the unifier. Now, you can take your own opinion about whether or not this behind-the-scenes manipulation of the political narrative is still going on by his crowd. We've covered that. So that is the review by the journal and its opinion page, Tuesday, December 20th, a couple of days ago, of this so-called January 6th inquiry. I submit that to you. You travel and think accordingly. Um, the other item that is really going unnoticed, and I'm going to cover this for you because I know you have felt this, and that is inflation. And uh, there is a, 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 a columnist for uh, the journal, George Zuhl, who has talked about something I know you're aware of, and that's the inflation pain that you don't see. And what he has made an observation on is how is this affecting this inflation? How is this affecting the middle class, the so-called middle class? Well, what is happening to the middle class, according to this analysis, is that more and more of the middle class income, which would have been discretionary income, is being used for necessities. We're talking about food. We're talking about fuel. We're talking about medicine. We're talking about the necessities. More and more of that is being used for necessities rather than savings, all right? The middle class household, according to a RAND study, <clears throat> defined the middle class as those who spent 40% to 90% of their after 
tax income on necessities, housing, food, clothing, transportation, education, childcare, healthcare, and personal care products. Well, now what they have found is that one third of middle income earners and a disproportionate share of those who are young, black, Hispanic, and single households cannot live a middle-class lifestyle because more money being spent on those things I just mentioned. I can tell you that I interact with young people quite a bit, always have. I interact right now with some young people who are in their late 20s. Um, they are very pessimistic about their ability to ever enjoy the, the lifestyle that their parents did. They don't think they're going to be able to own a house. They don't think they're going to be able to save money. They are working to maintain. Some of them can maintain simply because their parents kind of keep them around and help them out and keep them even in their own home uh, beyond what would be expected uh, uh, by an, uh, the old style standard of being out on their own. And this is across the races. This is across the uh, uh, the age groups. So this is not something that is characteristic only of a particular gender or race. It particularly hits blacks young hard. Now, these are the people that the Democrat Party courts and thinks they have in their camp. So the other just interesting observation, um, if the middle class households don't cut back on any of these essential things, these necessities, or get better paying jobs. Now, there's a limit to the better paying jobs because where is the money going to come from to pay of the employees if you can't go around and charge it on the other end, say in the restaurant business for the food or get less food for what you paid for before, both of which is happening. So uh, if you can't do that, um, a roughly 7.5% fell into the working class under their model who had been in the upper class. Um, so the upper class is being eroded and those people who are in the upper class are now part of the middle class. The uh, 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 middle class households, the percentage of after tax income spent on necessities have jumped from 60 to 65%. For upper class households, the shift was from 26 to 28%. And for working class households, they needed 108% of their monthly income to cover the basics in 2021. In 2022, they needed 118% of their income to cover the basics. The only way they were making it was by dipping into savings or getting help from relatives or some government safety net program. So the middle class is getting bigger on the top end because the upper class is slipping and falling into the middle class. And the middle class on the bottom side is barely holding on, possibly not holding on without heavy government subsidies. So the, uh, uh, the voter issues that really are on the minds of the people are these economy issues. Very little, little very few are concerned about the January 6th uh, 
that you know that's a political uh, politicized thing that has no, they do know that they were doing pretty well under Trump's economy. And you know what has happened? There's been this distraction, has there not, uh, from um, this obsession with what? Uh, according to the journal's article, uh, a lot of hot air. But we'll see how this all plays out. It's all political. Um, so the bottom line, according to this analysis, is that more Americans are finding it tougher to be a member of the middle class, um, and particularly the young people. The young people are not going to enjoy the lifestyle, according to these uh, studies, uh, that their parents did. Um, that it, it, it just, they're not going to have the same living space available to them per dollar. Uh, they're not going to have the same transportation costs that their parents had per dollar. Uh, the, the money they make is not going to go as far. And they're going to wonder what happened. They're going to wonder how it happened, because a lot of young people are not political. They have other things on their mind. I mean, they're young. They're enjoying, quote unquote, youth. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, really, it's, really, um, it, it, it's really interesting to look at it from uh, you know, a cold lens of, of, of what is uh, going on in the country. So I don't know the way. I have been talking with some people who are pretty bright about the economy. And they predict 2023 is going to be really, really tough. And um, all this is going to come home to roost. Um, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet is currently at about $8.6 trillion, And the national debt is more than $31 trillion. Uh, This is an analysis by Howard Adler just today that we aren't ready for a financial crisis. Uh, these are staggering amounts that will make it difficult to deal with the next financial crisis successfully. And according to Adler, the next financial crisis is inevitable. Um, so this is, uh, this is something that uh, is gonna to touch us all. Uh, the, the central bank playbook, this article writes, for dealing with a financial crisis was devised in the 19th century. Uh, that's going back a ways, is it not? So uh, the new Biden administration uh, continues uh, with a $1.9 trillion American quote-unquote rescue plan. Uh, But by early 2022, uh, the federal government's balance sheet was at a historically unprecedented $8.9 trillion with about $5.7 trillion in treasury debt and about $2.7 trillion in mortgage-backed securities. So the national debt 2022 was more than 30 trillion, which is leading to runaway consumer inflation, which we now face. You know, I I, I don't know why the government continues to kick the can down the road. Um, I'm so, so, you know, we can't afford the social programs. We can't, you know, we've got to, wouldn't you think, I mean, how would you run your own household? Would you continue to live in enormous, enormous debt with it getting bigger and bigger every year? I mean, what are you going to do? Just die leaving the debt? I kind of think that's what a lot of politicians think. Oh, we'll just keep we'll just keep kicking the can down the road until we're out of office and let somebody else pick up the problem. Uh, 
it's it's uh, the balance sheets are not balancing. Uh, it is pretty clear to many observers of our society that the political what did, what what did the what did the uh, uh, interrogation of, uh, of 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 Trump cost the federal government? Not just in money, but in time wasted on other things that could have been better spent. Um, you know, the the when the next financial crisis arrives, um, the, the uh, you know, can the U.S. a wealthy nation um, weather it? It did weather. It appears the COVID financial crisis, um, but you know. We got some uncomfortable numbers here. Uh, at some point, so writes this uh, Wall Street Earth, a Journal article, the U.S. Treasury debt is going to diminish and interest rates are going to rise. And you see them rising. And this interest rate burden on the U.S. economy is going to tremendously increase inflation. Um, the only answer that anybody can come up with, which I don't see happening, is to reduce federal spending. Reduce federal spending. Um, but we don't see the Democrats doing it, do we? The Biden administration, according to the analysis here uh, by uh, Mr. Adler in the journal, uh, spends freely on everything. This has a $400 billion student loan forgiveness program. Well, I'm very suspicious of the government handling your money, handling our money. We're at the end of today's show. I want to thank so much uh, uh, Kim Tuttle for coming on and talking about one of the exciting uh, artistic forms of institutions we have in this community here. And uh, without the arts, we wouldn't be humans. Arts humanizes, make us understand our common humanity. So I've always been a big supporter of the arts. Uh, we'll keep you coming uh, as much as we can with with uh, informed and thoughtful shows here for you. We have been, of course, uh, fighting the censorship of the YouTube world. And uh, we're over uh, uh, on different platforms now. Uh, we highly encourage you to check us out. Uh, we still are about 30 some platforms in various forms. And um, we're, we're thankful for you, those who spread the word about us. Uh, have a great day. Stay warm now. It's coming this afternoon in our neck of the woods anyway. Warthog Command Center out.